Welcome to the Willing to Listen South Bruce Proud podcast. Willing to Listen is a grassroots volunteer group based in South Bruce, Ontario, that is dedicated to thoroughly investigating multiple aspects of Canada's proposed deep geological repository for spent nuclear fuel. I'm Sheila Wittick, and I'm so excited to have you join me as we delve into this controversial project. Hey, everybody. Welcome to part two with Melanie, uh, continuing on with our Thinking is Power um, episodes here. I have to apologize for the delay. I had some problems with my audio editing software on my computer. So the audio in this one's not as good as I would have expected. Um, but truth be told, editing it and trying to retrieve it to its original excellent level got a little bit annoying for me. So what you see is what you get this time. And hopefully I get that sorted out for the next episode. Hope you guys enjoy it. I'm hoping to do some little chat here about skepticism versus pseudoscience and denial. I hear people say like, oh, I'm not, I don't deny science. I'm just skeptical about vaccines or whatever. I don't want to talk about vaccines really, because that's a hot topic right now too. Um, but there was a really good quote um, that I saw on your website. And it said, the key difference between science and its pretenders is this, whereas science is an objective search to understand and explain the natural world, science's pretenders are motivated by their desire to protect cherished beliefs. Um, so I'm wondering if we could just like chat about skepticism versus denial or pseudoscience. Yeah. Um, look, no one is going to self-identify as a pseudoscientist or as a science denier. Right? Why not? I wish they would. <laughs> I wish they'd wear a big shirt. Like I deny science changed my mind or something. <laughs> right. Um, they, we all think our beliefs are grounded in evidence. And we know science is reliable, so our beliefs have to be scientific, right? And so what we do is we use what we think is science to justify what we want to believe or what we don't want to believe. Um, skepticism gets a really bad, like it has a bad public perception and there's just so many misconceptions about it. Skepticism is basically proportioning our beliefs to the evidence. It is somebody makes a claim, okay, what's the evidence for that? And then I'll accept that based on the quality of evidence you provide me. If you make an extraordinary claim, then I'm gonna ask for extraordinary evidence. Um, and if you don't provide any evidence, I don't have to accept your claim at all. You haven't provided me any reasons to. And so um, skepticism is really our first line of defense. It's important to be skeptical of what people tell us, but it's also important to be skeptical of our own beliefs in that, Skepticism is 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 something um, I like to think of like first a radar, like somebody tells you something and depending on what they say, um, you know, that little alarm bell that goes off in your head, like, wait, is that true? That's skepticism, right? Lean into that. And then our own beliefs. It's like this, um, uh, it's like a, a scanning your brain, this constant like uh, skeptical thing, just moving around your brain, looking at different beliefs, asking, you know, do I actually have good reasons to believe that or not? Or why right. do I believe that? And leaning into the potential doubts. A denier is not a skeptic because a denier is not going to accept evidence. Back to Flick, the I stands for impossible expectations. And that's what a lot of science deniers demand. I will accept your claim when you provide me all of this evidence, um, usually an amount of evidence that can never be met. And if you do meet it, they're going to move the goalpost because they don't want to accept it. 
But instead of calling themselves a denier, it just feels better to call ourselves a skeptic because scientists are skeptical. So if I if I self-identify as a skeptic, it means that I'm being scientific about my worldview as opposed to recognizing that I just don't want to believe something. And so we have to be really careful. Um, this is um, the hardest part about critical thinking is being honest with ourselves. Literally, like at its core, if we're not honest with ourselves about why we want to believe something, about our emotional attachment to beliefs, about our motivations to believe something, um, if we're not honest with ourselves about the identity attachment that we have to beliefs, then we can't possibly evaluate them in an objective way. And so um, this is really something where, like, if you if you fashion yourself as an independent thinker, that's really what that means. It means taking responsibility for your beliefs and really questioning your own motivations for believing. I also kind of wanted to talk about the characteristics of pseudoscience or science denial. Like what, what do those, what does that acronym stand for? And kind of what does each of those pieces mean or look like? You mean with, with Flick? Yeah. Flick is the, um, the, the characteristics, the techniques of science denial. Um, science denial and pseudoscience are the, what I call science's pretenders. They're the things that seem scientific, but really aren't. And so in that science's pretenders articles, I've contrasted science denial and pseudoscience with, um, with science. The, the, the major difference between um, pseudoscience and science, uh, sorry, science's pretenders and science is that science is an objective search for the truth. Whereas scientists pretenders are motivated by either wanting to protect something that we want to believe in, which is pseudoscience, or to not accept something that's scientific, which is science denial. So at their core, the motivations are different. And because of that, our level of evidence is different. So if we want to believe something that's not scientific, um, homeopathy is a great example. So homeopathy is, is pure of health pseudoscience as it can come by these days. Um, accepting, wanting to believe homeopathy can lead us to believe things that aren't scientific, but because we want to believe our standard of evidence is low. Whereas for science, is, uh, for science denial, we want, we don't, sorry, we don't want to believe. And because we don't want to believe, our standard of evidence is very high. So science is proportioning our evidence, our acceptance of the evidence, where one is not want to believe, one is do want to believe. The two are very closely related. I'm going to give you an example that um, uh, as a biologist, I'm very familiar with, which is uh, evolution. So um, evolutionary theory is um, the single most unifying theory in all the life sciences. Like the evidence for it is, you know, 160 years old. Um, the, the idea that all living things are related um, and all have a common ancestor, like, the evidence is overwhelming. Okay. So, um, but if you don't want to accept that, that is science denial. And to not accept that, then you're gonna use fake experts and rely on logical fallacies and demand impossible expectations for evidence and cherry pick evidence to make your case. And also probably appeal to conspiracy theories. If I forget, remind me about conspiracy theories. But because you don't wanna accept that science, you wanna replace it with your own belief system. And that belief system tends to be some form of creationism. 
intelligent design, Younger's creationism, whatever it is. But that's a pseudoscience. And that pseudoscience you want to believe. So the evidence for it is very low. Um, there's more characteristics of pseudoscience, but in, in short, that is what it is. Both pseudoscience and science denial at their core use conspiracy theories, which is there is no other way to explain why all experts disagree with you. Like why the expert consensus says something that you don't want to accept. The only way to explain that is a conspiracy theory. So that's why all of science's pretenders tend to rely on some form of conspiracy. But there are real conspiracies and no one is denying that, but we need evidence to establish conspiracies and conspiratorial thinking does not get us to understand if there's a conspiracy. Conspiracy theories are at their core immune to evidence. We don't want, all evidence leads to conspiracy. So if you are trying to maintain a belief in the face of an expert consensus that says something different, they're all conspiring. Why are they all conspiring? Because of this. Why does the evidence say something different? Oh, because they planted it. Why does the evidence not say this? Oh, well, they're hiding that, right? On right. and on. So conspiratorial thinking is really dangerous. We tend to see motivations um, and think it's evidence. We tend to just not want to accept what science is saying. So we say it's conspiracy. But again, that's just us fooling ourselves. I'm just I'm just kind of wondering, though, like in my brain, I'm kind of going through some of the things that we hear locally a lot. And, you know, one of the big ones that we do hear um, the local the organization who's in charge of building this repository. I know you're not big on nuclear, so I don't expect you to to know the fine details of it. But like they're partnered with several universities in Canada doing research. They're partnered with countries around the world. And the thing that we hear is that that's not reliable because they're all working with that organization. So none of their results are are reliable for that reason. So like, does that kind of fall into that conspiracy idea? Or like, where does that, like, where would that kind of narrative fall in? Is there someone that the claim is um, more reliable than them? Basically anyone who doesn't work in nuclear. <laughs> Which Why is ironic because the people in nuclear are the experts, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, look, so um, I'm going to preface this with saying I don't know a lot about nuclear energy. Uh, that is not my area of expertise. I do know that um, if a growing consensus amongst even environmentalists at this point is that there's basically no way to solve our energy issues moving forward without nuclear energy. Um, and that said, um, it is an emotionally loaded topic. Sure is. Sure um, is. <laughs> it's also, um, it's also a very science heavy topic and you have to have a lot of expertise to understand it. I can understand people thinking that um, like our vested interests in something can certainly make us more likely to, um, there's the Upton Sinclair quote, it's difficult to convince a man of something when his job asks him to not accept it. I'm paraphrasing. But I, I do I do get it. If you work in an industry, it's difficult to understand. Um, like you're, That's your paycheck. But that said, 
we're not just talking about people who are installing the nuclear and making money off of nuclear. We're talking about independent scientists, again, from academia and from industry and from government and from how many countries around the world. Getting them all to conspire on something, it would be very difficult to do. Um, when trying to figure out... Um, This is a dicey topic. I know. I see a lot of people saying this. In I know. I, I really appreciate what it is that you're trying to do. It's really easy to discount someone's position by claiming it's a conspiracy. But it's kind of a cop-out. Without evidence, we don't know it's a conspiracy. Um, and if the conspiracy has to keep growing to include more and more people, so... Um, I don't know if we've got the people locally, uh, we've got the people also in government locally and industry locally. If that conspiracy has to keep moving to include scientists like nuclear scientists at Harvard and then like somebody in uh, government in uh, Norway, like if the conspiracy has to keep growing to include more and more people, it's eventually going to collapse under its own weight. There's actually a study on that. Um, it was a mathematical modeling of conspiracy theories. And I basically found that the grander a conspiracy has to be, the more people that it has to involve, the less likely it is to be able to sustain itself. Someone's going to talk. Someone's going to talk. Right. Um, and it, I would just caution people against um, discounting a position, calling it a conspiracy. It's an easy thing to say, but if you don't have evidence, and if the reason, if you're honest with yourself, if the reason that you're you're claiming someone is um, part of a conspiracy is because you don't want to accept what it is that they are saying, um, then you might not be honest with yourself. Like that's a pretty fair assumption really like when i think of just conspiracy theories in general you know and it like even flat earth now is a thing and i and it kind of blows my mind because i'm like really we're back to thinking the earth is flat like we have pictures of it from space i'm so confused but it i don't i don't know it there's a lot of weird theories out there that you just kind of wonder, like, how did this happen? I don't understand how we've gone back in time. You know, um, the human brain's ability to convince itself of things um, never ceases to amaze me. It gets truly incredible what we're able to deny or convince ourselves of. No, I totally get it. Are you familiar with the birds aren't real conspiracy? No. <laughs> birds aren't real? I, I do this assignment in my my class because I told you I use inoculation theory where I have students create misinformation. I have them create misinformation. And I do this thing where I have them create conspiracy theories. And there's a, a conspiracy theory. It, to be fair, it is a parody, but it's birds aren't real. And it's this guy, I forget his name. To be honest, um, I'm so glad it's a parody because I was just about to go like jump right. off a bridge. So I'm like, if people think birds are fake, I'm done. I'm out. I'm finished. Their conspiracy is that the United States, so all birds died out. Um, the government killed all birds. There's variations of it um, in like the 50s and 60s and replaced them with surveillance drones. And the surveillance drones, the birds are surveillance drones. They power up by sitting on power lines. Uh, they track you by pooping on your car. 
Right. Oh, but think about it. Why don't you ever see dead bird? Why don't you ever see bird baby? Right? It's because they're not real. So <laughs> where do these people the live that they've never seen bird babies? <laughs> <laughs> I think it started in Memphis. <laughs> um but their idea is that like these conspiracy theories are just out there and we can make a conspiracy theory out of anything. So um, conspiracy theories are by nature immune to evidence. If you said somebody who's in character with the birds aren't real and that's what they do is they stay in character. Why do you think like, but there's a bird right there. Like, well, that's just what they want you to think. It's tracking you, right? So there, there's always an excuse for the evidence, for why it fits the narrative. So I have my students do this where I, I show them the birds aren't real conspiracy. Um, and then I say, okay, you have to come up with conspiracy. You have to tell me who did what and why, and then you have to find me evidence for it. Go online and find evidence for it. And then a few minutes later, they're like, raise your hand, professor. Does that mean I have to use reliable sources? I'm like, no. Like who uses reliable sources for conspiracy theory? Go to a subreddit, go to some like, law go someplace and just the point is to find a narrative but there's the thing if we want to find evidence for these things we can find them just because you think you have evidence for a conspiracy theory does not mean that you actually do conspiracy theories do matter back to naomi oreskes and her book merchants of doubt that is a real conspiracy theory that is a real conspiracy industry really did conspire to convince the american public that we did not know enough about the harmful effects of tobacco to act on it. They really did and are convincing us that we don't know enough about the what causes climate change and the effects to do anything. That is real. But how do we know it's real? We have evidence, real evidence, not just cherry-picked evidence that we found because that's what we wanted to believe. The danger of conspiracy theories is that they provide us cover. And they allow us to continue to not be honest with ourselves. But to be honest with ourselves, we have to actually ask, what is the evidence for something like that? Yeah, I find conspiracy theories are literally everywhere. Like if you actually look for them, they're everywhere. It's it's actually quite, uh, <laughs> I'll say terrifying because sometimes when I hear the things people, and you know what's funny? When you say that the birds aren't real thing with them, like they're drones, they sit on power lines to power up. My kids ask me, how can birds sit on power lines? Shouldn't they die when they do that? And it's like, well, yeah, but you try to explain to them, you know, like they're not grounded. They're only touching the wire. So they're not actually going to get electrocuted. But like, if you were to touch it from the ground, yes, you would die. But it's another one of those things. Where, like, if you don't understand how electricity works, you're going to be like, yeah, why, why doesn't that bird die? I'm so glad that's a parody, though. I was about to lose all faith in humans. <laughs> oh, man. I've heard a lot lately, but, like, that one would have topped. That one would have topped it. Um, <clears throat> so I guess what I kind of want to end off with, um, another quote um, from your website. I could quote it all day. It's well done. It's fantastic. Um, science denial is the refusal to accept well-established science. Essentially, denial suggests that the expert consensus is wrong 
by focusing on minor uncertainties and engaging in conspiracy theories to undermine robust science. Denial is motivated by not wanting to believe a scientific conclusion, often because it conflicts with existing beliefs, identity, or vested interests. And so my question that I want to end off with, which is might also be a hard one to answer, um, but like how do we as as people counter those narratives? Like how do we effectively counter those when we're talking and interacting with people who are of the um, science pretender camp? Like how how do you talk to them and how do you try to, I don't want to say explain the truth, but you know, how do you try to discuss these topics? Facts doesn't, don't work. Um, what I would say is avoid um, a conversation based on, um, this is really hard to say, because as a scientist, you know, you think um, facts matter, right? Evidence matters. What we know about the human brain is that um, there's a motivation under there. And especially if somebody is not familiar with how science works, and how evidence is vetted um, and hasn't learned um, metacognition and the basics of critical thinking, you know, to them, they, they really feel strongly that they have evidence. And so you, you put, give them facts and they're just going to come back with their own. And they probably even know your facts. And so they have already learned how in their minds to counter them. Um, you can see how I'm trying to deal with this, which is an educational approach, like a broader educational approach. But on a one-to-one, -one, I think one of the best things that you can do is connect with people on a human level. Why do you care about this issue? Why do they care about this issue? And try to connect with them on an emotional level. Are you familiar with the writer and the elephant? No. The writer and the elephant is um, Jonathan Haidt's um, explanation of the... Uh, the, the way the brain works. There, there are dual processing theories. Daniel Kahneman system one and system two is essentially the same thing. But I find that the elephant and the writer analogy is much easier for people to, um, to understand. So imagine in your brain, you have an elephant and then there's a writer sitting on top of the elephant. So the elephant is big and it is strong. And if it wants to do something, it's gonna do it. The elephant is emotional. It is um, identity-based. It is um, uh, it uses heuristics and biases to jump to conclusions. And it's always on. You don't have to turn your elephant on. The elephant's always in the background doing something. The writer is the part of the brain that can think logically. It can think critically. But it's hard to do because you have to turn it on. It is much more work. And oftentimes it just accepts what the elephant says and says, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. Here's why my elephant is right. A great example, um, like um, I really like cake. Uh, actually, I like frosting and cake is the vehicle for frosting. So um, in the evening, if I've got cake and frosting, my writer knows that I probably shouldn't eat that. But my elephant is like, yeah, you want the cake. And so the elephant is pretty strong. To get my writer to counteract the elephant takes a lot of work. Mostly what my writer is going to do is go, you were good all day. You worked out. You did anything else bad. You're going to work out again in the morning. It's all good. 
right? You got this. And so it just justified the elephant. So in my brain, I've got this emotional part that's in control and I'm using my writer to justify my elephant's emotional decisions. Now imagine you're talking to someone else and that other person also has an elephant in the writer. You think you're talking to the writer, but you're not. You're talking to the elephant. The writer is justifying their elephant. So attach at the elephant level, talk to their elephant. What is their emotional motivations for what it is that they believe? Look, people are trying to have a safe environment, right? They honestly think that their positions are in line with science and with their ethics and morality, which is, this is how I keep my environment safe. So understanding that and talking to that is going to get you much farther than trying to throw facts at them because their writer is just going to cast those off and the elephant's going to keep on keeping on. That poor writer. I can't imagine trying to control an elephant. It's hard work. No one wants to turn it on. No. <laughs> I hear you. I go to work and I have to turn that stupid rider on. I'm like, I don't want to. I honestly think that's why I eat the cake at the end of the day, because my rider is tired. Yeah, I'm done. Fine. I worked all day. If you want to have eat the cake. <laughs> my riders quit for the day. They're on vacation. See you later. The elephant's in charge. Well, that's um, that's all I've got, actually. It's pretty good. I think that's covered a lot. Thanks so much for taking the time to do this today. That's amazing. Oh, well, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciated the conversation. And that's it for this episode of Willing to Listen South Bruce Proud. I look forward to further investigating Canada's plan for spent nuclear fuel along with all of you. Thanks so much for joining me. And remember, we don't have to agree on anything to be kind to one another. Thank you.